Another day, another dollar, everybody, on the Seven Innings Podcast. Welcome, welcome to another show. We are closing in, folks. What what do we got? Three weeks till mayhem. Hashtag mayhem. Here on the podcast today, BMO, Scarborough, Smitty, Jimmy, and the cool cat with the bat. We are, of course, going to shag some stats. We're going to go streaking. We're going to talk about some sleepers. And then also, really excited uh, to hear uh, Jenny Dalton talk about the Smash sisters, great home run hitters this year. Uh, we're going to preview Georgia-Bama and JMU-Virginia Tech, a little under-the-radar midweek action. And, of course, the daily grind of conference play and the stunning weekend upset for Louisville over Florida State. Hopefully you got your lineup card. I've just basically told you what it was. Uh, <laughs> at 7 Innings Podcast is your follow. And we've also, as we, uh, uh, we're getting more and more questions from the fans. So uh, we've been listening. We've been watching. And we're going to share some of our thoughts on, on questions from the crowd. But we're going to start out, gang, with what we call the daily grind. Top of the order. It's that time of the season where everybody is uh, up to their uh, ankles and knees and shoulder deep in conference play, and it can really take a toll, Smitty. Ten of the top 15 teams lost a game, either in league play or in a midweek non-conference, and then followed it up with some struggles in league play. BMO, that to me is is parity all the way around, and the fact that these conferences are getting stronger and stronger, and the midweek games as well. A lot of times uh, they're added if they're mid-majors. It's to help RPIs. It's to get maybe some of your non-starters some playing time if they're not playing as much in conference. But a midweek matchup like Florida-Florida State obviously is going to be a good one and a tough one. Florida State ended up winning that. But one of the things that sticks out to me when you talk about conference play and parity is when you look at the RPI, it used to be very SEC top heavy in the top 10, the top 15. Well, it's amazing how ACC, Pac-12, Big 12 are showing up more in the top eight than the SEC is. The SEC is more heavily loaded, nine through 15. So just interesting how these other conferences are starting to build and be as strong as what we've seen the SEC be the last couple of years. I also think conditioning really comes into it this time of year. How much work did you do in the fall and over the off season to make sure that your body was ready to handle this? This is when we're seeing a lot of tweaked tammies, the base dealers go down with legs, pitchers have overuse injuries. And so I feel like this is the day of the power hitter when this time of year, as bodies are breaking down, the bat really takes over. Well, and I think too, in conference play, you're generally, and I think it's across the board now, because it used to just be some conferences would play two games, but now everybody's playing a three game series. So basically you're playing a super regional type format to where even though you lose one time, you still win the series. So if this was in May in the postseason and super regionals, you have to lose twice to get kicked out of the tournament. So with that, I think also comes familiarity, not just from playing a team three times Mm -hmm. in one weekend, but playing a team over and over and over again in your career, like a senior like Megan King has played a team like Louisville for three years straight now. So you have the scattering reports. They know her very well. And even Holly April, their Louisville head coach, it was the former coach at Pitt. So still knowing each other very well and coming up good game plans to go up against a team that you're very familiar with. And I, th- I think now too, we start to have tape on some of the freshmen, uh, both the pitchers and the hitters at this time of year. So we ha- even have tape now and um, sort of a game plan to follow to try and attack freshman pitchers and freshman hitters. So there really are no more surprises anymore. And, and I think too, 
the thing this time of year is you, you hit that wall. And so focus becomes so critical and, and your mental toughness gets challenged this time of year as much as your physical toughness, because at a lot of places now, you're even starting to wind down your school year. There may only be a few weeks left um, in your school year as well. So that calendar starts to come to a close. And I think that's what makes things even more impressive for the likes of a UCLA and an Oklahoma who both had conference sweeps this weekend. So did Washington and Florida. And interestingly enough, we had that Florida-Florida State game midweek. We thought, okay, Florida State wins. Now you got a tired Kelly Barnhill. Florida could be in trouble. Uh Uh-uh. It ends up going the other way. They sweep Florida, and it's Florida State that ends up in trouble in their uh, weekend conference series, which brings us to the anatomy of an upset. And what a huge weekend uh, into Monday night for the Louisville Cardinals in game three of the rubber match against Florida State. Uh, They had the lead in the seventh inning, lost it, and then ended up winning it with a walk-off. It's the first time since 2012, Amanda, that Florida State loses an ACC series. And if you just do that quick math, like I'm sure you did right before the the podcast, that's 52 consecutive series wins that Florida State had, which is just incredible Um, and just mind-boggling in itself between them and Oklahoma. Their their dominance within their conference is pretty impressive. But I saw a such a confident Louisville team, and especially in the circle with Daniel Watson, who not only threw a good game three, got pulled late in the game three um, against Florida State, but she also had the game one win against Florida State. She just was very spinny, had some swings and misses that were up in the zone that were impressive. Uh, and I saw Louisville hitters just so much confidence. They thought until the, there was no more outs left, they truly thought that they were going to win. Like I, I loved watching them compete in the box, even when Florida State took that lead in game three uh, into the bottom of the seventh inning. They, they still thought that they could win. So to me, that's a, a huge part of the anatomy of an upset is that from minute one until minute final, you truly believe that you can do it. And I saw that out of that Louisville team. Well, and they had some, Louisville had some really bad errors to start that game. That set them up to have to fight till the end. And it was the patience that I saw out of Louisville in that last inning. Megan King only giving up 25 walks on the year, gave up two in that last half inning. And that really set them up for the Chung hit that would be the walk-off. Well, and, you know, it, it always comes down to the basics. You got to pitch better than your opponent. You got to out-hit them. And you have, you have to out-defend them. And I think when you look at the stats and you watch those games, you realize that Florida State was out-hit in every game. The game they won, they actually tied in hits four apiece. But they, they were one hit in that first game. It set the tone. As you mentioned, Watson was very strong. And, and King, they were they were just able to get on her. And you know what? That happens at times. You know, it, you look at Florida State and you say, all right, streaks have to come to an end. But losses like this, hey, better to lose a series now than in a super regional, right? So maybe this is a little bit of a wake-up call for them that's going to turn them around. And then for Louisville, you know, you have to say, hey, this is the potential of what we can do. You have a good series, you could find yourself in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And and one last thing, Beth, is that remember Megan King had that scoreless streak going that um, in our game, in that midweek game, Florida versus Florida State, she had like 34 straight scoreless innings. So she went into that Louisville series really on a roll. Yeah, so here's how it went down. Game one, Watson threw a one-hitter and and beat Megan King. The one hit is fabulous against that Florida State lineup. Megan Hensley had a two-run home run. 
Florida State bounced back to win game two. Then they had a day off waiting for game three, and it was um, Florida State rallying with six runs, uh, Sidney Sherrill a grand slam in the top of the seventh to regain the lead. And then Rebecca Chung, who had already thrown out four Florida State base dealers in the game, remarkable enough, she gets the three-run double to walk it off with two outs in the bottom of the seventh. They beat Megan King twice. They also, uh, for the first time in school history, win a series against a top-five opponent. So massive victory for Louisville and for Florida State, uh, their first Series loss in league play in seven years. Any reason for concern uh, coming off of that, guys? For the for the Seminoles, I, I'm not concerned about it. I've I've always said that you know sometimes a a, a a loss, a good loss, it's like you know it's like medicine. It tastes bad when you're taking it, but it ends up helping you in the long run. So I think it, you know what's important now though is recovery. How do they recover from this? What do they look like going into North Carolina this weekend? Yeah, exactly. It's taking that bad medicine, Michelle, and then you have a quick drink that you have to get to take of water or something else to clear it out. Maybe that's what the North Carolina series <laughs> is for Florida state is kind of being able to, to, to clear out that loss. But um, one thing that I think is important to mention is the fact that Florida State went from number one in the ACC to now they are number two behind Virginia Tech. So with those two losses, Virginia Tech now takes the lead in the ACC and they don't even have to play Florida State this year. Ooh, we're going to have Florida, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, a little preview of their midweek series. They go out of league play to face JMU. That's coming up a little bit later. Um, and also next week, uh, you guys will be in tally uh, for the rematch of Florida, Florida State. I think we're going to have their coaching staff join us for the podcast next week. So we will find out uh, if there are any lingering effects from Florida State. Is anybody else, by by the way, hearing a uh, little Bon Jovi in their head right now? Your love is yeah. like bad medicine. <laughs> that would be for us older folks there, BMO. Yeah. <laughs> I may have I may have just found the uh, the uh, title of this week's podcast, Bad Medicine. I'm going to keep that one in mind right here. Oh, um, let's move on right now to um, uh, the the big series this weekend: Georgia and Alabama, uh, both feeling the uh, the sting a little bit of losing their uh, SEC series this past weekend. Um, one of the big storylines we'll be following is whether or not. We're going to see any um, return from Montana Fouch. She's still out for Alabama, their ace freshman. And Alyssa DiCarlo continues her quest to become the all-time leader in SEC home runs. She is six away from Lauren Hager's record. What do we got as we get ready for Bama and Georgia? Kayla? I get chills when I think about Bama versus Georgia. I think this is two storied programs that have been built from the ground up by Lou Harris Champer and Patrick Murphy. And when those teams get on the field, it just means a little bit more for those players. And I hope the players on the field this weekend understand that there's so much pride on the line to fight for your program, your team, because this is one of the best and biggest rivalries in SEC softball. And looking at this weekend's game, I think that you're seeing some huge stars on the field. Of course, you have some big hitters like Alyssa DiCarlo. You have Bailey Hemphill for Alabama. You know, 
hitters that are leading their teams, but the supporting cast for both of these programs is going to be huge. You know, you have some freshmen for Georgia like Lacey, Lacey Fincher and Savannah Sykes that are putting up big home run numbers. And then you have a hitter like Claire Jenkins that's just coming on so strong in terms of home run and, and lineup support for Alabama. So I think with both of these pitching staffs, you know, they're good. I think when you're missing Montana Fouts, then you're going to see the ball leave the park a lot. And I'm going to tell you right now that the Rhodes house is going to be absolutely electric. This is going to be a high offense, high fire, high firepower weekend. And it's a day at Alabama. So the spring football game. So everybody's in town. Everybody's going to be showing up for the game. So this one is big time and I cannot wait to watch it. Let's go. Well, and you know, I, I agree a lot with what Kayla is saying. I think it's going to be an exciting series. And um, these are both teams that have batting averages over 300. So they're going to score runs. Montana fouls. That is the unknown. The pitching staffs are going to be stressed, but you know, what's going to be awesome. You guys, this series playing at Bama is always going to be a blast with the crowds that they have. And, you know, UGA is a feisty team. So the dogs and the elephants, <laughs> the tide going at each other. I don't know which one. Yeah. I don't know which one. The tide, the tide have told us. The tide have told us they consider yeah. Georgia to be their biggest rival. There's always some bad blood there. Bad yes. medicine and, bad and blood. You know, but that's what James makes James. this a series so exciting. I cannot wait to call it. It's just going to be a lot of fun. Sweet Lou and Pat Murphy. I mean, two great coaches, so well-respected. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Well, and then when you get there, the crowd, they've set record numbers in their attendance right now. And so you go into a, a hostile environment. How does Georgia respond? Are they able to still hit the long ball off of a pitching staff that doesn't have Montana fouts? Or do they succumb to the pressure of a crowd that's able to get in the game and influence their emotions? Beth, I'm a little bit upset with you because if you're going to reference Bon Jovi and Bad Medicine, when you say Bad Blood, you better reference Taylor Swift. Wait, I'm no, I'm going Neil Sedaka. Bad, bad blood, blood. What's the Taylor Swift one? Oh, there, there's a Taylor Swift song that I won't sing right oh, now. No, but I have um, heard that one. You're right. I have heard yeah, that. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you guys, I, I think for Alabama, I, I know that you talked about Montana Fouts. When I think about their offense. Um, I think about how important Claire Jenkins is in that offense. And um, I know, you, you know, Bailey Hemphill gets a lot of talk with her amount of RBI. She's like at 60 and 19 home runs. But Claire Jenkins to me is a very important part of their offense. And to think about the, how far she's come, this is a player that in their first two seasons hit like 150 and hit three home runs. And already this season, in one season, she's hit 12. So to me, if she can get going, she's a really important part of their offense. Um, and I can't wait to hear from you guys, Beth and Michelle. And then also Kayla's on the, this call too, right? And Kayla, um, just how, what you guys think of Georgia. Because to me, when I watch them play, I just feel like there's something missing. And I can't quite put my finger on it yet. And I can't wait to hear from you guys after to see what you think. Yeah, uh, we, we have all three games of the series. Uh, me and Smitty and Kayla will be at the Rhodes House, which will be rocking this weekend. They They were picked... To finish second, right? right? Behind Florida in the SEC. Neither one of those is near the top of the league right now. Oh, by the way, either Alabama or Florida has won the SEC for 11 years in a row. Right now, LSU is on top of the league. I I think you're right. And I don't know if it's, um, 
just a matter of Courtney Emanuel being gone from the top of that lineup and all that she did uh, for that um, Georgia offense. But you're right. They're, they're sub 500 right now in the SEC. I don't think any of us thought that that's where they would be at this juncture. So that's a huge series for them. And also, I think with Alabama, we know what's coming. Their last 12 games in the league are all against ranked opponents. Heavy back-ended schedule. We will also have their Florida series on our air coming up in a couple of weeks. So I, I think they they feel like they probably have a lot to prove after that 33-0 and start to the season. How can they finish? Um, we're going to see this one uh, a pair of the Smash Sisters. Let's move to the uh, cleanup spot in our lineup. And our top home run hitting duos, trios, in Arizona's case, it's a quattro. Uh, but <laughs> J- Jenkins and Hemphill uh, both are smashing the ball around. Uh, I think we should go to our expert home run hitter, Jenny Dalton, to lead the way on this. Oh, by the way, both DiCarlo and Hemphill and probably Mia Davidson are going to make a run at the SEC single season record, which is Kelly Kretschmann from a generation ago. And I believe the number is 25. Uh, for single season, but our our uh, number four spot in the lineup, cleaning up, clean up hitter, Smash Sisters. Let's go to the Cool Cat with the bat. So right now, I've got eight teams that have two players with double digit home runs, at least two players. So four of them come out of the SEC. So Auburn, Mississippi State, Alabama, and LSU all have at least two players hitting double digit home runs. I would say my most impressive of those four is the Auburn duo of Kendall Veach with 17 and Tannen Snow with 12 right now just have kind of flown under the radar for a lot of us. I don't know that Auburn is one of those teams that gets talked about a lot, but they are really stepping up, putting up some big numbers, getting some quality wins, won two against Tennessee this last weekend. So for me, Kendall Veach, Tan and Snow, those are the two that stand out. But did you know there's a set of twins right now that have double-digit home runs in the country? That that was mine. Amanda, you, you know? stole it. Yes. Dang it. What? It's okay. Amanda, who is it? It's okay. I, it? I, do it with, I do it with pitching. Wait. It is. We have wait, wait. We haven't. Na- we haven't heard the names yet. Go, we Amanda. Who is it? Yet. We can Maddie save and Kendra Hackford. We can save it. Of Arizona State. Yep, the twins. Maddie has sixteen. Kendra oh. has twelve. So those. I'm going to say that's the most powerful sister duo in the nation. Um, but then you go to a, a name that we have not mentioned that I know of on this podcast, Coastal Carolina. They've got Courtney Dean with 12 and Cassidy Smith with 11. And so for them, they've got the double-digit home runs in those two. Um, but I'm going to be a homer on this one and go straight to Arizona. You called it the Quattro, and right now they've got 77 home runs as a team. Jesse Harper leading the way with 21. Oh, yeah. But then she, they've got Deja Mulapola with 16, Alyssa Palomino with 13, and then Malia Martino. Martinez with 10. So for me, I'm going to say Arizona takes the cake on this one. So much power. And I loved hitting the long ball playing in Tucson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Smith, I think, can tell us that the, the ball flies a little yes, farther. Yes, it does. It is a launch pad. They should call it, uh, they should call it the launch pad instead of uh, Tucson. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited. I think, I think the Quattro nickname right. might hold for them out there. And and I love uh, I love coastal going coast to coast with a pair of home That's run awesome. hitters. How about that? Hey, hey guys, hey guys, that? Mississippi State though they got two hitters in the yeah. top ten or top five in the country. 
on home runs. That's right. You're right, Jimmy. Good one. Mia Davidson and Fale Lua, they tied each other this weekend, both at 18. That's impressive. That's Thunder and Lightning 2.0. And they hit back-to-back. That's the best part, right? They... Fale Lua protects Mia, and so you have to throw to at least one. And then Cat Moore follows up Fale, who doesn't have double-digit home runs but has power. So you have to throw to both of them. You know, the, the one um, kind of cool thing, too, Jenny, about the two twin sisters, Kendra and Maddie Hackbarth of Arizona State, is that just them alone, um, they account for 42% of Arizona State's home runs. And it is really cool. They're sisters, especially the fact that Kendra's left-handed, Maddie's right-handed, and they have just such different personalities. One catches and plays the outfield. Like, they're totally different. So that, that to me, is a really unique smash sister set. Nice, nice. I'm Just one last thing on Quattro. That, that's combined 60 home runs for those four, which would put them nationally one, two, three, four, five, six, eighth. In the country, just those four smash sisters, Quattro, out in the desert. So fun to watch. Uh, There could be some home run records falling as the season progresses. Did we mention the JMU duo of Good and Gordon? Also double-digit home run hitters. And they have a huge road test at Virginia Tech. This is going to be great. A midweek doubleheader. It's Gordon and Good. Uh, Sarah Jubis is top 10 in the country in batting average for JMU and for Virginia Tech, red hot. They've won 16 of the last 17 with one of the top five hitting countries in the country, uh, Smitty. Well, BMO, I have to say these two teams, when you look at them on paper, they match up very well. JMU has a 337 team batting average. Virginia Tech's a 351. Um, the number of runs and that they score very, very similar. Odyssey Alexander and Megan Good for JMU have whips below one, so they're keeping folks off base. Um, home run, 65 for Virginia Tech, JMU 52. It's just going to be a great matchup. It always comes down to, and this is a doubleheader, so this is a midweek, not single game, but doubleheader. Yeah. It's going to come down to execution. Yeah. Both of these teams, tops in scoring as well. They're both averaging um, over seven runs a game, so there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this, and uh, I think this is a really good test for Virginia Tech. JMU's had a lot of experience uh, with strong seasons the last three to four years, but this is a really big test for Virginia Tech. Yeah, really quickly, did we mention where this game was being played at? I'm sorry, I might have zoned out. Uh, I believe it's at VATEC. Okay, cool. Uh, I was just wondering, because I, I always feel like that just plays a big part, too, as a team having to travel, get a little bit tired that day. Um, but what stuck out to me the most, I think, about this matchup is um, there's just the deep pitching staffs that both of these teams have. So the fact that they're playing a doubleheader is kind of no big deal because they both have two aces and then they could throw a different person in each game and still feel really confident with whoever is in the circle. Um, one player, though, for Virginia Tech, to me, uh, is Kelsey Bennett. She has a 1300 OPS. So a really well-rounded hitter. She gets on base, good slugging percentage is somebody to look out for in that matchup. Yeah. That, that's going to be a fun one to watch. Keep in mind too, by the way, the travel may not be as big an issue here because it, they're both Virginia schools, JMU down to Blacksburg, but that's going to be a great one to watch. Could also impact, of course, RPI and uh, a, a couple of teams that may be in the hunt to um, host a regional at the end of the season. So that head to head could be significant. We're moving down our lineup card. Hope you're following along with us at seven innings podcast. It's uh, BMO Scarborough, Smitty, Jimmy, the cool cat with the bat. We're available uh, on uh, the, at the ESPN podcast center on ESPNW iTunes, wherever you get um, your, uh, your 
what podcasts from. Um, before we get into sleepers, guys, we got a few questions from the audience. We got uh, folks that are sending us in um, some questions. And, and one of them involves the Missouri Tigers. And what do we think about Mizzou? Another team, um, Jenny, you referenced Auburn kind of sneaking up on people. Uh, how about Missouri right now at 500 in the SEC? And they have a fabulous schedule remaining. Three of the four SEC series they have left are with the three teams at the bottom of the conference. So what do we think of the job Larissa's done so far in, in this team? I think what she's done is she's come in and just given a shot of belief to most of these players who had struggled through some coaching changes and just issues on campus. So for me, Mizzou is a sleeper team. They went into a hot Kentucky team who was unbeaten in the SECs and swept them. And so for me, Kentucky was even playing at home. So they had momentum, but they went in, swept Kentucky. And since then, Kentucky has really stumbled through their SEC schedule. They've also beat Tennessee once and Georgia twice. And I think what Larissa Anderson has done for Missouri has just given them belief, letting them feel confidence. Mm -hmm. And confidence can sometimes precede a little bit of success. Michelle, what do you think? Well, absolutely. Um, I think the other thing that Larissa does so well, she's a very good pitching coach and she will get the most out of her pitchers and what she has. You know, sometimes people think as pitching coaches, you have to recreate and build this, you know, big, beautiful new pitcher. And a lot of times you don't. The, the key to being a great pitching coach is honing the skills that your pitcher has and then maybe mixing speeds, giving them one other little tool that's going to help give them a different look. And so for me, Larissa Anderson has just been outstanding with the positivity, absolutely. But what she's done with that pitching staff, which allows you to win games. What do you think, BMO? I think um, Missouri is definitely a team to keep an eye on. Actually, that's one of our sleepers. I think we can uh, cruise right into our sleeper discussion right there and, and, and what the Tigers have been able to do. There's another team that we like, right, um, Amanda, as a sleeper out of the SEC? Yeah, I, I like Ole Miss. Uh, I, I am um, I, I'm remembering what they did a couple of years ago in the SEC tournament and their run whenever they made to Super Regionals, had to go into UCLA and play, uh, and they're led by Caitlin Lee. And I can't help but but look at Molly Jacobson, their left-handed pitcher, a transfer for, for them who, who came from the junior college level and is now just such a big part of their team. I can't help but but get remember what they did that year and how Mike Smith really rallied his team together to believe at the end of the season and, and rally around Caitlin Lee in the circle. That's what they're doing for Molly Jacobson. And and Molly Jacobson is so good with the way that she can change speed. So whenever they feel confident in the circle, I feel like Ole Miss is a team that really is able to produce offensively and work their best action-packed offense with their speed, putting the ball on the ground, and then gather around some, some extra base hits. So I like Ole Miss mainly because I just absolutely I'm in love with Molly Jacobson and what she's done this year. My sleeper team is going to be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I think that, you know, they fly under the radar playing in the Sun Belt, but they're a very well-coached team under Jerry Glasgow. They have everybody in their start, starting lineup hitting above 300. So I think that, you know, they don't play in the toughest conference, but, you know, you get a lot of confidence when you win ball games, and they're going to have an opportunity to win in pretty much every single game that they play on the rest of their schedule. And you get some confidence. You get to play, you know, a regional at home. It's tough to go to Lafayette. And then you're talking about, you know, winning your regional and going on the road and trying to upset somebody. This team could do it. Nice, nice. Smitty, what you got as a sleeper? 
Who's going to wake some people? Who's going to get my sleeper? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, we are. We're waking up the country. In fact, I'm going to mention a team I don't believe we've mentioned yet on this seven innings podcast, and that is Colorado State, 11 and one in conference, 29 and five. They have an RPI of 32. But listen to this, you guys. Good wins. They beat Stanford five to nothing earlier in the year. They beat Oklahoma State two to one. A good loss, UCLA. They lost to UCLA uh, in a tight game, three to nothing. So this is a team that's in the top 10 in scoring. Their ERA is a a little bit over two, um, but a team batting average of 328, 42 home runs. So this is a Colorado State team that I think will surprise some people. Oh, and side note, guess what, ladies? They're going to be at the St. Pete. Oh, Oh, you dropped it. You dropped it. (laughs) Welcome to Clearwater, Colorado State. Breaking news, Colorado State going to Clearwater next spring. Beautiful. How about Jimmy Softball? Who are you sleeping on or who's waking you up, Jimmy? Oh, I'm going to give you guys a lot of numbers here to back up my uh, answer. I'm going with Northwestern out of the Big Ten. 17 in the RPI right now, 29-7 and on the season, 9-0 and in the Big Ten. They're led by a freshman freshman pitcher. I feel a theme here, guys. We talk about this all season long. But Danielle Williams, 19-3. and uh, 17 complete games with 10 shutouts. Uh, and, and that's those 10 shutouts wow. second behind uh, all, all, all name teamer, I guess. What, what, how do we say that? She's on our all name team, Christina Biggerstaff. Yes. From you. Nice. Yeah. 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 Yes. She uh, is. So that's, yes. that's one, two in the nation in shutouts. Uh, but the big one, and this one's for you, Michelle, strikeout to walk ratio. Danielle Williams leads the NCAA with 11.13. Strikeout to walk ratio. That's ridiculous. Wow. That is awesome. That's so and also down the line here, they don't have to play Michigan. They only have conference games left. And the last week of the season is is uh, Northwestern against Minnesota. So that could be a big Ooh. RPI boost going into the Big Ten tourney. <laughs> awesome. Beth, Beth, try to follow. Mic drop. Mic drop. Jimmy. Try to follow that up. I, I, I will follow it up in one phrase, Jimmy. My sleeper beat your sleeper. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going with the fighting Mendoza. Singular, just like the Cardinal are not the Cardinals. The fighting Mendoza are not the fighting Mendozas. I'm going with Stanford, which back on um, March first beat Northwestern one to nothing. Um, however, full disclosure, they lost to Smitty's Colorado State earlier in the season five nothing. So. This is the beauty of it. Now, they beat Northwestern. They also beat Michigan. They also beat LSU. So we know what we're capable, they're capable of. They've had some weather-related problems uh, the last couple of weeks. And I think the, the beauty of the sleepers is, well, first of all, they're well-coached. You got Jessica Allister. You got Jessica Merchant. You got Tori Nyberg all on that staff. All know what it takes to be successful at the Division One level. Of course, Merchant was a member of Michigan's national championship team, and Alistair already built a winner at um, Minnesota. So will it be the alarm clock ringing in their ears the last uh, three weeks of the season when they have Arizona, Washington, and UCLA, or will they be able to prove themselves? It will be pretender or contender time coming up for Stanford, I'd like to think they've got what it takes to be a contender for a uh, a shot 
later down the line. That's my that's my sleeper. I, I love it when we get competitive with our sleepers, with our stack. We're like, yeah, well, I'll take that upgrade. Wait. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jenny, did you did you do one, Jenny? Mine was Mizzou. Beth led right into it. So I yes. think Mizzou is one of those teams that just sits back right now and is has is gaining momentum. They started off slow, and everybody did not expect much out of them. I think the biggest key for them is, does the appeal process end before the season is over, and what does the NCAA say? And so for me, it really comes down to, where does the appeal process come down to this one for Mizzou? That's what we call in the biz a seamless transition when it's so good even the professional broadcasters don't realize it just happened beautiful beautiful hey let's move on to so we talked about some teams that may sneak up on us uh number seven on our lineup card are the streakers those are teams that aren't aren't sneaking up on anybody because they are rolling right now i'm talking about oklahoma winners of 25 in a row streaking Michigan, 15-game winning streak. They are tied right now with Northwestern atop the Big Ten, streaking. UCLA has 19, Arizona 14, and even Washington with 10 in a row, Amanda. Some of the streakers out there. Man, it's crazy because all those teams are just playing so well right now, too. And and going to uh, UCLA, so I have them against Oregon and L.A. this weekend. Um, and so they play... Oregon this weekend, then followed by Oregon State, and then followed by Utah. So th- this UCLA streak of 19 might just continue to extend because I don't see either one of those teams really challenging them. Of course, you know, UCLA could just throw a game away on accident and, and lose, but they should go ahead and extend that winning streak a little bit further with their upcoming schedule. One last thing is that Arizona plays Grand Canyon next. And remember, Grand Canyon was the one that beat Florida State for the first time this year. Well, you know what I love about when we talk about the streakers is that, um, besides the visual, (laughs) is that um, these are programs that are consistent. Um, It's consistency, right? Isn't that what our game is about? If you're going to go on a streak, that means you're, you're doing everything right. You're getting in a rhythm. You're building culture. Older players are teaching younger players. And, and those streaks really can define programs, but, Streaks do end. Look what happened with Florida State and their ACC uh, series victories. That was ended by Louisville. So these streaks obviously are just uh, within this season. But I love the fact of what it takes to get on a streak. It's consistency and it's playing um, within the culture of your program. Day in and day out, every pitch of the game, never taking a pitch off. And Washington was the team that you mentioned that had the, the shortest streak of those. Washington has a 10-game win streak right now. They last got swept by UCLA. The thing that I see for them is they got Arizona in their second-to-last series in Pac-12 play. Arizona with a 14-game win streak right now. Their last loss was against Florida State at home. They end their season with Washington and UCLA, probably two of the biggest series that they will play in this season. And it really comes down to the confidence, Michelle, like you were talking about and getting on a roll. And it's hard playing those big two series right at the end of the season as you're getting ready to head into postseason. How will a loss during that point of the season affect your postseason run? And just to circle back around to the top two teams in the poll that are both streaking Oklahoma, because uh, last year their um, road series at Iowa State got snowed out. They moved it to Norman instead. Quirk of the schedule, the Sooners play 12 of their last 13 games on the road, their lone home game is a bedlam game against Oklahoma State. And for UCLA, just just 
Going to keep updating folks. The best record in history watch continues. They are 35 and 1, and Rachel Garcia stays perfect. She's 15 and 0. I think it's time to, you know, do one of our favorite things, Jimmy, as we move down the lineup card. This week on Shagging Stats. All right, we're going to shag some stats. And nobody had a better week, I don't think, than Malia Martinez at Arizona with 18 RBI in their five wins over UTEP and Utah. She had a six RBI game that included a three-run home run and a three-run double. She had a five RBI game that included a two-run home run and another three-run double. And in the finale against Utah, a four-RBI game. Way to go, Malia. Cool cat with the bat. What you got? Shagging stats. Well, I'm going to sound like a homer in this one because I'm going to go back to Arizona as well. We, they, homer. <laughs> homer. Sorry. I'm, I'll blame yeah. it because yeah, they homer. set a program record 57 runs in their series against Utah. And we may have scored a lot of runs back in the day, but 57 in a three-game series, that's unheard of. And so for them, that's my shagging stat. Tons of runs out there in Utah. For my shagging stat this week, I have to shout out the SEC Player of the Week, Tannen Snow, and I got to witness this in person. She was 6 for 9 on the weekend. She had 3 home runs, 8 RBIs against one of the best pitching teams in the country, Tennessee, so shout out to Tannen Snow. Uh, I'm going to go to Houston, and this is not just a... Uh, a self-serving uh, stat, uh, but they will be on Longhorn Network midweek against Texas. They are 9-0 and this season against teams from the state of Texas with wins over A&M and Baylor. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do against Texas, maybe get the, uh, the Texas sweep. Amanda, what do you got? Of course, the Texas leads right into me. Good job, Jimmy. Seamless transition, Beth. Nice. Cue it right now. Uh, <laughs> My stat is uh shameless plug because I'm going to UCLA and I have their game against Oregon on ESPN2 on Sunday. But Taylor Pack against ASU recorded more home runs than she did outs, which is just crazy. Um, she hit three home runs, three doubles. She was six for eight with 10 RBI. So uh, incredible week for the Pac-12 player of the week, Taylor Pack. We'll see how she does against Oregon this weekend. Michelle, what do you have? Ladies, my shagging stat is Alyssa DiCarlo. 20 home runs on the year, 49 RBIs, 120 total bases, a slugging percentage over 1,000. She has just been outstanding. She's rewriting the record books for um, UGA. And, yes, that's a little bit of a shameless plug because we will see her in the series coming up uh, against uh, Alabama this weekend. So we'll see what DiCarlo can do against the tide in T-Town. We are getting really good at these uh, plugging our own games. Yes, I like we are. it. Yes, we are. Self-serving. I, I Self-serving. Too. You know, Jenny Dalton played on a 1994 team at Arizona. Their nickname was Chuck and Duck. That was the only chance pitchers had. <laughs> Just throw it in there and then hit the deck because they had Dalton. They had Espinosa. They had Bratz. Who else was on that team? You guys never scored 57 in a series? Never. But so listen to this. 94 was not the year that we scored the most home runs, though. In 1995, we scored a hundred or we hit 100 home runs the first time that had ever been done in NCAA history. But do you know which team holds the record for most home runs in a season? I do. Who you got? Go of ben. Course, Beth, Who you got, Jenny? All you right. tell us, Hawaii's Jenny. Hawaii's 2010 team had 158 home runs. They had eight hitters with double-digit 
home run. So they went to Oklahoma City, did not come away with the championship, but a huge home run hitting team in Hawaii. Yes. Now, in all fairness, that team had the most recent bat technology. Your teams in the mid-90s were swinging. You guys were swinging two-by-fours <laughs> for crying out loud. <laughs> we did. We did. But we also had the home run leader in the country in Laura Espinosa. She had Crazy. 37 that season. I followed her with 28, and Leah Bratz Crazy. had 21. So we were the, the smash originals that year. I'm going to... I can't believe that you brought up Hawaii because wasn't Kayla on that team oh, that Hawaii beat uh, and Alabama to go to the World nice. Series? So you better, yeah, I, I, I'm going to call her and tell on you. That hurts a little bit. <laughs> Didn't Jenny have kind of a short porch too hey, out there? Uh, Tucson's Tucson. You recruit or you go where you uh, know you can be successful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was Shagging Stats. Hey, let's uh, let's get to the bottom of the order. Time to time to bring us home. And I know Jimmy's got some great stuff today. On give me some Jimmy. All right, we're getting close to that time of year where the uh, postseason is going to start uh, heating up. You know, hashtag mayhem. I'm going to give you just a few few of the smaller conference leaders right now. Missouri Valley Conference, Drake with a 24 and 13 over record overall record, 10 and two in conference. Uh, the WAC Grand Canyon already mentioned they play Arizona this weekend. Uh, they're leading their conference with an eight and one record. Uh, this is an interesting one to me. The SWAC, Texas Southern, they're only 12 and 20, but they're 10 and 0 in conference and they lead the Western Division. Whoa. That is crazy. That is awesome. I love it. <laughs> they're not, conference was 2 and 20, yeah. and now they've rallied. Yeah, they're, that's awesome. That's, nice. that's my favorite one. And then, uh, as it. we mentioned before, uh, Michelle Sleeper there with Colorado State, they're leading the Mountain West uh, 29 and 5. That's pretty impressive with a uh, 11 and 1 in conference. Um, before we get to my real uh, question today, uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the Auburn softball Twitter. Uh, I don't know if you saw their back and forth yeah. uh, with Mississippi State Twitter this weekend, which was fantastic. Yes, um, They tweeted at us a question. They wanted to know, uh, Sevenings Podcast, what is the best Twitter out there and why is it Auburn? <laughs> fantastic question. So, uh, Are you allowed, let, let are you just, allowed uh, to give that award yeah, to yourself? Yeah, well, I guess they did. So, uh, yes. you know, like, they're that good. Yeah, uh, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, that. <laughs> There's some pretty creative tools My, out there. I, there are. Uh, there are. And I can't think of one team that sticks out to me, but my favorite – um, team Twitters are the ones that do really good in-game updates where they give the inning and they give the score and they give like multiple details because sometimes these these people are tweeting out stuff and I can't tell what inning it is. I can't tell who's winning or losing. Like every tweet, I feel like, because in your timeline it comes up different, should have the score and inning no matter what you tweet about just happening. You're such a nerd. Little pet peeve. You're a nerd. I know. I know. Oh. You, but you there's got to be yes. a shout out to the sports information directors who are really yeah, Unloved and and under the radar profession for them they put in so many hours to collect all these numbers and we take it for granted because the internet gives it to us so quickly but they spend hours putting it all together collating it and then giving it to us so that we can share it with the world and so a big shout out to those sports information directors who work so hard couple more things from our fans um uh, somebody uh tweeted us and wanted to know are are the wristbands a fad or is something else going to come along uh, to get the wristbands off of uh, the pitchers and the catchers and every batter that goes out there? Or is that is there too much on the line and too much money now in play for coaches to let the, the student-athletes take it upon themselves? Well, I think 
Beth, that's why we see all the information coming out of the dugout. I still wish the dugout would give the the battery uh, the trend of the hitter and then let the battery call the game, uh, especially if they're upperclassmen. Um, but unless a little hologram can pop off of a, like a sunglass, and then I don't think the uh, I don't think the wristbands, unfortunately, are going away unless something else can replace it. Maybe it's an earpiece in the visor, like you can you can see like the quarterbacks that will you know have their their hands over their little ear holes, you know, trying to listen. I, I, unless a hologram or something like that happens, I think, unfortunately, we're stuck with the wristbands. That would be awesome to put it in the catcher's mask to where, you know, the coach can um, have a little radio and say uh, curve outside or oh. rise up and in. And then they like and then they give the signal because I do miss the catcher giving the signal to the pitcher. I hate that the pitcher takes her di- complete focus and direction yeah. away from the field and has to look into the dugout after every single pitch. That really bugs me. I wish there was a different way, but I like Michelle don't think that the wristband's going anywhere. Oh, and then we could have all kinds of clandestine activity going on. You, uh, opponents could try and jam the radio signal or intercept it. Oh. Intercept it. Oh, yeah. And then the dark side could come in and be like, no, yes. don't listen. Let the force be with you. <laughs> what happened to what you talked about, though, Bet? Just chuck and duck. Grip and rip. I mean, that's the thing. That's the part of the game that I miss. These players do not feel the heartbeat like they used to when you just had to get in there, read the batter in the box, throw your best stuff, and get after it. Well, and Jenny, I I love that point too, because you know what? It affects the accountability of the players on the field. Oh, that was the wrong pitch to call. You know, when you give for a pitcher, I'm sorry, but if you're throwing it as a pitcher, you have to be accountable for that pitch and you have to take responsibility for it. I love it when a pitcher has to say, hey, my bad. I, you know, I didn't throw it right, or maybe it wasn't the right pitch, but it was my decision instead of being able to point fingers and say, hey, it was the wrong call. Yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> Preach it, baby. Preach it. <laughs> yeah. You throw new, a new song? The... Beth, you're going to break out in music again? I, I'm getting ready to do a Darth Vader. <laughs> throw, the drop, throw the drop curve, Luke. Throw the drop curve. <laughs> These are not the drones you're looking for. Yes. Throw a rise, throw maybe a rise should, ball right maybe down the middle, Luke. <laughs> Maybe we should do a musical episode, though. You know how, like, on shows that you watch, like, every now and then they'll pop in, like, a musical yeah, episode? Would, just an idea. Just way. throwing that up. Oh, we got we to gotta see all the coaches in the dugouts. They start breaking out Madonna. Papa, don't preach. You know, and I'm like, don't preach just about not using the. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Uh, all, right, all, right. all right. All right. Here we go. Here's, here's the question for this week, guys. All right. We talked a lot about home runs. We've talked about the bat flips. We talked about Smash Sisters. Okay. So. If you hit a home run and you're coming around third and you're going into home, what do you want your home run celebration to be? And Mississippi State, they do a little hockey dance. We've seen uh, Jenny loves the hugs that people Don't do. even. No, I do not. We get, we, uh, I think uh, LSU, LSU does, does a little bounce. We do an airplane. What? What what let's start let's start with you, Jenny. What do you want to do when you're coming home? So we talked about this over the weekend. You were my producer in our series at Mississippi State, and I'm not into the hug thing. Like I'm great with hugs, but after a home run, I don't want to hug. I want to make sure there's a celebration of some kind at the plate. So I've been known to have a lot of odd jobs. And one of those jobs was I worked at the airport and I threw bags onto airplanes. And so for me, I think it would be cool to do like the Oklahoma fly in, but have somebody guiding me into home plate and then just a big cheer at the end. Oh, interesting. That's good. How about you, Amanda? What would you do? 
Um, I would definitely want the people around home plate, like Jenny was talking about, instead of just the the, the hug or you know helmet tap. Because I, I like to show the emotion too, especially in a big home run coming across home plate. But in typical, just kind of like dainty me form, I would like do a jump and a twirl on, on home plate. A jump and a twirl. A jump and a twirl and land right on home plate, and then everybody could celebrate with me. Be careful with that ACL. I was just gonna say yeah. that sounds like that right, yeah. ACL injury. Yeah. Michelle, what would be Um, yours? So for me, it's interesting. I'm going to go back to old school and our our head coach, Ralph Raymond, um, from the first two Olympic teams. You know what he always said? uh, And he always had us do. We we walked over the plate, made sure we touched it because there are issues when players do miss home plate during celebrations. Make sure you touch home plate and then you just shake hands with the next person coming up. And uh, In other words, you're telling your opponent it's not a big deal oh, because wow. we knew we were going to be able to do that. So don't oh, celebrate it because you yeah. only celebrate okay. it when it's a rarity. This is something we do common, so just shake it out. I, I, oh. I would like to, when I cross home plate, I would like to have... I would like to have um, Michelle singing Papa Don't Preach to me. Uh, when I Actually, one, one of my favorite parts of um, the, the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody yes. was them explaining how they did um, We Are the Champions. Doom, doom, we will yeah. rock you. Doom, doom, and we want to get the fans involved. So oh. how about this? When you cross, That's when you touch cool. home plate, you and all your teammates are around, no hugging. But there's a clap. There's a clap for every run you've driven in, and the crowd can also get involved. Uh, so solo home run. Everybody ready? Solo home run. One clap. If it's a two run home run. Oh yeah, we were horrible. A three, that, that a three run home run. <laughs> and you can imagine the whole crowd doing this and a grand slam. We'd be bad at the eight clap. <laughs> we would be really bad. That's at the a whole lot of choreography that's, right there. That's way, way too much. That's get the whole crowd involved. Yes, yes. Team that's chemistry. pretty cool though, Beth. If you could pull that off, I would one hundred percent hit a home run just yes, to make and that I would happen. Not hug you. I would no not hugging. Hug you. Sorry, no. Uh, that's good stuff. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the uh, the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Seven Innings Podcast. We'll be back uh, with you next week. At least some of us will, because they're going to be at Florida State for the FSU Florida game. And we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have some of the uh, Florida State coaching staff along with us. BMO, Scarborough, uh, we had a little bit of bro from the West Coast. Smitty, Jimmy, the cool cat with the bat. We hope you have enjoyed this latest episode called Bad Medicine, Bad Blood. On the road to the Women's College World Series.